Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome back. I know this is not our first Sunday being back. Last week, uh, I believe the message was on slipping and sliding through the trials of life, uh, something like that. Uh, this week uh, was not in the plan, the original schedule, for me to be up here this, uh, this morning. I'm Todd Mangum. I serve as academic dean and professor of missional theology at Missio Seminary. I'm Dave Dunbar's longtime uh, colleague uh, from uh, a life past at Missio. But uh, this past week, I got a call, and uh, Dave Dunbar uh, has COVID. Uh, the, uh, we assume the Omicron uh, variant. Uh, but uh, So anyway, he said, you know, Todd, could you... Uh, could you fill in? I, I, so, I didn't know I was going to be here this morning. I don't think anyone did. Apparently, the Spirit of the Lord did, though, because with what I'm going to be talking about this morning, I couldn't have picked better music uh, that, uh, that fits the message. It really does. You'll see that in a moment. But anyway, let's be praying for, uh, for Pastor Dave. Uh, you really shouldn't, you know, make jokes, you know, about uh, COVID Dave or Dave the disease. You know, I heard someone saying that this morning. May have been me, but anyway, uh, the only reason I can joke about it at all is because his symptoms are light, and, and we assume he will have a full recovery. Uh, but there is a serious point in there. I mean, we, we assume Dave, Dave will recover, but if you think about it, we're going on two years with this pandemic, and not a single human measure, not a single human entity has proven foolproof or fail-safe, whatever political party, whatever health measures. Now, uh, I'm, I'm vaccinated, boosted, so is Dave Dunbar. He's still got COVID. You see, you see what I mean? I mean, uh, we presume that masked, vaccinated, and boosted is safer than unvaccinated, you know, unboosted, whatever. But there's not a single measure that has proven fail-safe, foolproof, and I'll just say, theologically speaking, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't know all that God is up to, but at the end of the day, some of what we sang this morning, God is faithful, God is our protection. Anything else we rely on as though, well, if I do this and I'll be 100% secure or safe or something, not a single entity, not a single measure has proven fail-safe in the end we're confronted with our mortality. We're confronted with the frailty, fragility of life. We're confronted with the unsafety of living life down below. I think Jesus had something to say about that. And I wish it didn't take the past two years to remind me, but it has, among other things, reminded me. Well, wow. <laughs> I want to, in the free moments, few moments that we have this morning, definitely want to leave time, sufficient time for a good communion, Lord's table gathering. But uh, Exodus 1 to 15 in three minutes or less. I almost said 15 seconds, but I was afraid someone might time me. But uh, anyway, uh, Exodus, Israel first came to Egypt. God's people of the Old Testament first came to Egypt because they were short of food. And at first, 
it worked out well. Joseph was honored. They got prime real estate in the land of Egypt. But after it looks like about 30 years, there came a ruler who forgot about Joseph. And for the next four centuries, 400 years, that's going back between us and 400 years ago, that's going back to the Jamestown colony. (laughs) 400 years, Israel lived under oppressive slavery. After 400 years, there was one of the Israelite male babies. The law of the land of the time was if a male baby was born to an Israelite, you were required to abort him. You were required to throw him in the Nile. Moses' parents did throw him in the Nile in a basket. (laughs) where he was picked up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter, who found this little baby, fell in love with him, raised him in the palace with, it turned out, she didn't know, at least as far as we know, she didn't know, Pharaoh's daughter, his adoptive mother, did not know that she had selected his biological mother, Moses' mother, to serve as his nanny, his nurse. So in the providence and protection and care of God, Moses was raised by his biological mother, but was given world-class education, power and privilege, all the power and privilege and education at the time. But as an adult, Moses willingly sided with the people of God, the people of his heritage, rather than the people of his adopted power, privilege, oppression. And over Moses' objections... God confronted him in a burning bush, and even though Moses said, I'm not qualified, God says, actually, I've done a pretty good job of educating you. You know, you're one of the few uh, Hebrew uh, people who knows Coptic. (laughs) You're one of the few people who are familiar with the Egyptian court system and legal system. Do you know that you've gotten a world-class education? I'm reading between the lines on a lot of that stuff, but God actually says, You're fully qualified. I've chosen you to lead God's people out of Egypt. Ten plagues later, beginning with such innocuous annoyances as frogs, but going through boils, hail, locust plagues, death, first to animals, and then to firstborn, Israel is not only permitted to leave, but expelled. God's people are expelled from Israel. The promised land. And by the end of Exodus 14, Israel is on the shores of the Red Sea, trapped, but by the end of Exodus 14, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. This morning, I'd like to look with you at the next chapters. After Exodus 15 is a chapter of full chapter devoted to praise for what God did in Exodus 14. I'd like to look at you this, with you this morning at Exodus 16 and 17 with a little assist from Psalm 95. This was the people of God at the beginning of Exodus 14, trapped by the Red Sea, Egyptian army confronting them. By the end of Exodus 14, hoorah, they're on the other side. There's some pretty dramatic events that got them to the other side. The Red Sea split open. They cross. 
The Egyptian army follows them. Red Sea collapses, crushes the Egyptian army, which accomplished several things. Uh, not only was Israel safely on the other side, but the Egyptian army was also, that was pursuing them, wiped out. And it was like the door closed behind them, too. So that even if the people of Israel lost their nerve, lost their courage, and wanted to go back, well, now they've got the Red Sea between them. So, this is the, this is the end of Exodus 14. All right. Exodus 15, chapter praise. All right. Which is what we'd expect, chapter praise after that. So... Having seen up close and personal the powerful rescuing intervention of God Almighty on their behalf, complete with and including cloud by day, fire by night, God's literal physical presence leading them, and then all this dramatic power caring for them, rescuing them, liberating them, up to and including removing the threat their foes, every fear of danger, taken care of, dispatched behind them. Now, happily ever after? Well... <clears throat> Unfortunately, not so much. In Exodus 16 and 17, God's people enter the wilderness of sin. Now, that's kind of a coincidence. You know, sin is like the 20th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It, it, it doesn't have any uh, lexical relationship to sin like we think of sin. But anyway, it is the wilderness of sin, both geographically and it turns out <clears throat> theologically too. In Exodus 16, God's people began grumbling and complaining. Well, about what? The main issues it breaks down really nicely chapter by chapter. It's really easy to outline the uh, struggles. Exodus 16, the issue is food. Exodus 17, the issue is water. Makes sense, right? Well, except, good night. <laughs> I mean, you realize the, and I know we only spent three minutes on it, but the, the history just behind them you got to be kidding. How could they be so stupid? <clears throat> now, I'm going to talk about this in a bit. I'm going to share with you that I can relate with what they're struggling with all too well. I, I shouldn't. I'm not saying that it excuses them. I'm not saying that they should have complained. But I'll just say to a degree, if I think about it and I think about my responses to my own trials and tribulations of life. I'm not saying they should have done this, but I understand. Some of this is a dynamic that psychologists, counselors, and even some Bible expositors have identified as 
the roller coaster syndrome. That is, after a set of great accomplishments or achievements, or in this case, after a set of great dramatic works of God, a series of blessings, manifestations of God's power, there's a psychological, a spiritual, a theological phenomenon that you might call the roller coaster, roller coaster of life, roller coaster ride syndrome in the Christian life, where a person can let their guard down or not be expecting the next set of trial or hardship. This roller coaster syndrome happened to Elijah. I mean, happened to some good, faithful, godly people. Happened to Elijah. Happened to Joshua. Happened to Jonah. He's kind of a mixed bag anyway. But anyway, it, it, it has happened to some people of general virtue, valor, character. <clears throat> it's basically what goes up It shouldn't come down, but it tends to come down. Paul at one point says, I've learned the art. I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I'm blessed, living in abundance, or living in scarcity. If, if I'm candid, transparent, I have to put that in the present progressive. You know, Paul puts it in the past perfect. I have learned. I have to say, I am learning <laughs> I am still learning how to be content in all circumstances. But, uh, you know, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be a roller coaster up, down. But it often is. And it seems clearly in the case of God's people, the Old Testament, in Exodus 14 to 17, that's part of what happens. They left Egypt with a month to a month and a half, maximum two months' worth of unleavened bread. You know, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for a week. But they, they ate unleavened bread for a week, then ate the lamb, and then left with unleavened bread in their packs with bowls, kneading bowls. We estimate that they had maybe a month's supply. But as soon as the waters closed behind them and they ran out of unleavened bread, it's like it hit them, uh-oh, we have no food. And now they're hitting the uh, kind of the downward crash of the, uh, of the roller coaster. So this can happen to an individual. We can see in Exodus 14 to 17, it can happen to a corporate body too. It did in Israel. Just observe in passing, our fellowship here at Grace Bible Church is currently vulnerable to this. Now, you think the past two years have been dreadful for everybody, you know, with, um, and with uh, coronavirus and all that. But before the previous two years, we were at a zenith of blessing, abundance in our community at Grace Bible Church. And, I, I mean, it's easy to get used to. <laughs> Healthy, functional, 
faithful, blessing ministry. And now we're in pastoral transition. Now we're in cultural, even national crisis. We're vulnerable to hitting the downside. We should be vigilantly aware of that so that we're not as stupid. We allowed to say that in church anyway. Uh, as the Israelites were in Exodus 16, 17. Because we're not two verses into Exodus 16 before we hit this. It's embarrassing even to read. Go into the desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th. Da, 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 da. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. That's what it says. The whole community grumbled. Grumbled against the leadership. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, listen to what they, listen to what comes out of their mouths after what we just reviewed. Listen to what comes out of their mouths. If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. I mean, there, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we've wanted. Do you not remember the chains? Do you not remember the whips? Do you not remember the oppressive 14-hour days of work with no days off? Do you not remember the slavery? We ate all the food we wanted. Remember those pots of delicate meat? But you've brought us out into this desert to starve our entire assembly to death. I really want to zero in on how God responds. Part of what we should do on a Sunday morning is get to know God some, right? <laughs> I mean, that's not just a, a seminary's academic interest, theology, understanding God, His character, His purposes, okay. So how does God respond? In Exodus 16 and 17. One of the main emphases of Exodus 16 he does provide for them. He, he did provide for them. <clears throat> now, he did not drop 40 pounds or 40 years worth of bread on them day one. He provided for them regularly and sufficiently day by day. Regularly and sufficiently. That regular day-by-day -day provision gave them enough. They had enough. No one starved. They all had enough. Each and every single one of them. but just enough, and just enough day by day. 
13 to 18 is the earlier emphasis. 19 to 22 is these, this latter emphasis. But what we're told is God rained down bread from heaven day by day. And apparently the way it worked out, what we're told in Exodus 16, is that the, the husband, father of four kids, went out. He gathered a lot. That family of six got a lot, enough for each person. The single adult gathered less, but had enough for that person. The one who needed a lot got a lot. The one who needed little got a little. But there was enough for everyone, but just enough. And day by day. And not only that, there was provision for rest, recuperation, and Sabbath worship, which was also provided for. Actually, make that required. <laughs> Part of what we're told in Exodus 16 and 17 is that God's people in the Old Testament, we wouldn't do this in the New Testament, of course, but God's people in the Old Testament put every single one of these points to the test. They tried to gather more than enough and store it. It went bad. I mean, became foul. God's clever. <laughs> became foul smelling. Made them regret that they, you know, took more than they needed. You know, because you can't store it. God said, uh, on on the sixth day, gather twice as much, because there's not going to be any tomorrow. You know what happened the first week? They went out the seventh day anyway, and. <laughs> And we're told, and we're told, there wasn't anything out there. You know, but Moses got mad. God got mad at that. Now, I want to pause here just a second because this is a window, a microcosm, into a a picture of the character of God. But not only the character of God. The character of God manifests in the way He's designed us, the way He's designed us to live. They're no longer in the Garden of Eden, they're in the wilderness. But this set of principles becomes paradigmatic, becomes a pattern (laughs) for how God operates. This is going to form some of Jesus' key teaching. When you pray, obviously hallow God's name, but pray, give us this day our daily bread. He's getting that from Exodus 16. This is the pattern. It's Exodus 16, 17 pattern. And that's not God who says, you want to make sure you've got enough in life? Let me tell you something, it's a global economy. You better be vigilant 24-7. That might be your boss. That might be corporate America. That might be the global economy's demands, but that's not God. God says, six days will you labor, but one day of seven is to be a day of rest, recuperation, worship. We're not designed to work 24-7. The character of God has designed us to live in such a way that we are resourceful. They didn't just sit in their tents and wait for the manna to fall in their basket. No, they had to go out and gather it. (laughs) So, you know, you've got to labor, but not 24-7. 
This is a microcosm, a window, a picture. And the character of God and how he's uh, designed us to live. So I'll just uh, conclude there. Oh, one more thing. Just one more thing. I was just ready to sit down. One more thing. He also heard their complaining. I actually have three major sermon points around this, if you're taking notes. This is point one. Major point two. He also heard their complaining. Major point three. He also heard their complaining. In verses 7 and 8, Moses says, you're complaining against us like we're incompetent leaders and lacking vision and lacking competence. And all. You're not complaining against us, Moses said. God is going to give you meat to eat and all the bread you want. You know he's heard your complaining. In verse 11, God himself says, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. So I'm just going to ask you this morning. How much of your talk to God in prayer, or at least how much of your talk in God's hearing, consists of complaining? Actually, two major points here in Exodus 16, 17 on this very matter. This is wonderful. God hears you when you pray. And we have lots of examples in Scripture of people coming to God with their concerns, with with their lament. God, I don't know what you're up to here. I come to you. Surely you see this. This is unjust. God, we plead with you. Tell me what to do to correct this injustice. That's all in the realm of lament. Even, God, I've trusted you, and I thought you were going to do this. You have done this in the past. I plead with you to do it now. That's all in the realm of lament, and and God can handle that. God hears you when you pray, and it is safe to come to God with our concerns and laments. 
But there's also a second major point made here on this very matter. God also hears you when you are not praying. (laughs) Maybe that's reassuring to you, too. For me, I have to say that's less reassuring. Uh, That's more convicting. Even potentially spine-chilling. Maybe it's why Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Because God is there all the time and, and He hears. I don't know about you, when I'm praying, I'm usually on my best behavior. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I'm, I know I'm talking to God and I mean, I, I, I clean it up when I'm praying. This suggests, but God hears when we're just muttering, when we're just mumbling, when we're just moaning and groaning. And the manifestations of a heart of distrust, doubt, cynicism, skepticism, God doesn't much appreciate. So Moses names this place where this occurred, this moaning and groaning, this griping and complaining. This is the one place in Scripture where There's evidence that Moses may have had a little Pennsylvania Dutch in him, you know, because out in the Lancaster area, there's towns named like Paradise or Goodsville or Byerstown, you know, they they seem to name the places over stuff that's, that's gone on here. Well, Moses names this place Test and Quarrel. It's almost like he names the, the, these towns griping and complaining. So just teasing out, the Israelites' perspective, God's perspective, two different perspectives. From the perspective of the Israelites, you know, I get that this is not a marine commando unit. These are families in homesteader wagons. And so once the door closes behind them, once the waters close behind them, you've got people that are concerned about, I got three little kids here. What are we going to do for food? What are we going to do for water? From their perspective, once they're out of Egypt, they're not in the promised land yet. I mean, that's still coming. That's still promised. They're refugees. I didn't put this on the PowerPoint slide, but this is uh, a, a news flash um, that I got, you know, on my phone. There's a name for it. It's, 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 they don't, anyway, it's not called a pop-up uh, window anymore, but anyway, uh, news flash. Parents and the pandemic, anger, frustration, exhaustion. For parents of children under five, the Omicron virus forces impossible choices and renewed stress to their lives. We can relate to some of the stresses, the anxieties, the frustrations that the Israelites were, were feeling. From God's perspective, 
we don't actually have to guess. We actually have at least one psalm that picks up on this and frames it out. Psalm 95. Psalm 95, for wondering what God was thinking through this, Psalm 95 tells us. And it starts out really, hopefully, helpfully, and encouragingly. Psalm 95 starts like this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. I don't know if that's the original tune, but that's the original Psalm 95. Just the sheep of his hand. Okay, now all right. Now the OCD among you can rest again. Anyway, that's Psalm 95. 72 chapters earlier, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this refers to being the sheep in God's pasture. Now, unfortunately, the worship song stops at verse 7. Psalm 95, I shouldn't say unfortunately because it stops at the, at the good part. But Psalm 95 actually goes on to say this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. That's what we were just looking at. As you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, where your ancestors griped and complained against me. Even though they'd seen what I'd done, how could they? How could they be so stupid? How could they be so faithless when they saw what I'd done? Ten plagues, splitting the Red Sea, eliminating the Egyptian army. How could you doubt that I'm going to provide for you in the wilderness, in the desert? How could you? For 40 years, I was angry. I'm going to circle back to that Hebrew term. I was angry with that generation. And I said, remember that sheep reference? Here's the rest of Psalm 95. I said, these people are like rotten sheep that don't know how to follow the shepherd. This is more to be correlated with Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray and so need to be herded in and atonement provided for. And for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. But it's not even the mild, modest term for angry. That's uh, the more modest, moderate anger is uh, some form of hara, hara or especially hara af. Af actually means nose. Think, think I can do this without sinus issues or, or COVID symptoms of any, but it's like, <laughs> that's something happens that hits you wrong. And <laughs> so when you see, and his anger burned, that's hara af. That's not this. This is a stronger word. A coat, which means a, a deep-seated 
resentment, disgusted. And in my coat, I swore, these people are never going to enter my rest. God realized way back in Exodus 16, 17, these people are a problem. Now, there's still going to be Israelites that enter the promised land, but not these gripers and complainers. I mean, God's still going to be faithful to his promises to his people. But the vast majority of this generation that griped and complained and couldn't trust God even after what they'd seen, they wind up as corpses in the desert. Just saying. So Grace Bible Church, can I ask you today, what about you? Today, if you hear His voice, we don't have to wonder about the love or care of God. That's not in question. There is some question as to how faithful, how trusting you and I will be. So as we go through this pastoral transition, as we enter into 2022, which is looking so far all the world like 2021 and 2020, will be found faithful. Today, if you hear His voice, maybe you're saying to yourself, I can't say I'm hearing His voice. Can I ask you, do you know the Lord? Is 2022 a, a year? Is today the day when you come to the Lord? Begin a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ by which you are in relationship with Him, can hear His voice. And, or if you're a child of His, are you one whose spirit is submissive enough to Him that He can lead you and you will follow? Is 2022 a year in which you need to repent and adopt an attitude of gratitude? And recognize not only the encouragement, but the expectation that we will trust God even when times are hard and even when things are not going the way we want. Surely we're not going to be people that gripe and complain and critique and grouse, worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink what we're going to wear, because I'm told that uh, if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things. If we can approach our problems, stresses, issues, anxieties with faithfulness and trust, Seek first His kingdom. He'll take care of the rest as well. I'm just saying.